You know, sometimes um, I, embarrassed, I embarrass myself when I realize how often I use this phrase with my kids. You've probably used it before, too, if you have children. You say, when I was a kid, right? I do this a lot. Like, every time we go for a bike ride, there's always something. I'll point at a place, and I'll say, hey, that's where the, this kid named James beat me up when I was 12 years old, right? And they're like, okay, Dad, sure. Or then we'll go by, like, a building. I'll be like, you know, when I was a kid, that building wasn't there, and, and now there's a building there. And they're like, Dad, that's not interesting, right? Like, well, I, can't, I can't help myself. When I was a kid, comes out of my mouth really often. And the truth is, so much of what I've learned as a kid is just so completely irrelevant now. Um, I spent all that time learning how to write cursive, and I've never used it ever in my life, not even once, except I guess for my, my signature. That's it, cursive. Or uh, I spent a lot of time uh, when I was a kid rewinding VHSs to return to Blockbuster Video so you didn't get a non-rewind fee on your account. Like that was really, really, my kids don't even know what rewind means, right? It doesn't even compute with them anymore. Uh, or I, I don't know how many hours I spent learning how to stop, drop, and roll. I've never had to use it even one time. And when I was a kid, I was convinced people were just spontaneously combusting into fire all the time. But not one time have I had to stop, drop, and roll. And on the flip side of that coin, there are many things I learned as a kid that even now are still relevant and important. Things I learned from my parents, things I learned in Kid City, things I learned at youth group. Like... You should work hard even when people aren't looking. Or your words are powerful and they have the power to hurt or to heal. Or that everyone, healthy and sick, the rich, the poor, red, black, yellow, white, they are precious in his sight. All people have integral value. Some of these things I learned a long, long time ago and even now, after all this time, they still matter and they still hold true. Now, we just spent a whole month talking about the Christmas story, about the birth of Jesus, and that, how that single event in history set into motion the, God's rescue plan for humanity. It happened 2,000 years ago, and yet still today, that story is powerful and relevant. And the whole Bible is like this. These ancient lessons and message that were scribbled down on parchment and put into the hands of messengers and sent all over the world still matter today. Now, even in a world that the biblical authors could not even begin to imagine or, or they, they would not even be able to understand the world that we live in, their words are still able to guide us meaningful, meaningfully in our lives towards understanding unchanging truths about God and humanity. Even now, those truths so old, so ancient, hold true in our lives. Which is good, because sometimes, oftentimes, I encounter problems in my life that are just too big for me to solve myself. Here's a question. Have you ever had a problem so big that you don't even know where to begin trying to solve it so large, like a mess so large that you don't even possibly know where to begin cleaning it up. I feel like this every time I walk into my kids' rooms, right? 
Have you experienced this at your house? You walk in, somehow there's ketchup on the ceiling, right? There's a remote control car that someone disassembled with a hammer. There's parts everywhere, right? There's dishes under the bed. Don't even, don't look under the bed, whatever you do in your kids' rooms. It's disgusting. Sometimes I look in there and I feel like, It'd be easier just to board up the door and sell the house, right? And just, I don't even know where to begin trying to clean the rooms. None of us are strangers to problems that feel too big, too beyond ourselves to solve ourselves. Now, maybe you're looking at the money coming in and the bills that you got to pay and there's a disparity there and you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe it's a diagnosis that changes everything. And you don't see a way out. Maybe you've dug yourself so deep into addictions that you don't think there's any way that you could be clean again. Or maybe this last year of pivoting has you exhausted and empty and feel like, how can I even look forward to 2024 when 2023 has been so difficult? You've got nothing left in the gas tank. Today, my goal is for you to leave this place this morning with more hope than when you walked in. My goal is for you to leave these doors today and walk through them and have more faith in your heart than when you came in with today. Today, I want you to be able to look at your life where there's things that are scarce and things that you need. And I want you to walk out of here expecting the abundancy of what Christ has in store for you. Today, we're going to look at the story of a time the disciples were facing an impossible task, an impossible problem. There was no earthly solution. A problem with no good solution. Something that was beyond their skills and ability. Something that was beyond their resources. Something that was so outside of their ability to accomplish, they knew that it could not be done. And today we're going to look at the story of the disciples and As we talk about these disciples, there's something very important I need us to remember. The people in this stories are real people. This is a real event. And this means people with real weaknesses and real doubts. Not mountains of faith, but honest, genuine people who struggle. Real people who screwed up. Real people who messed up. And sometimes when we talk about these stories, about anything from scripture, we we tend to heroify the characters, right? We turn them into these huge heroes of faith. Uh, It becomes impossible to imagine ourselves doing the things that they did because how could I? They're so incredible. We call them saints, right? They get sainthood. And they set this standard that each of us look to and we're like, they were special. They had something more than I have. I could never do what they have done, but we have to remember that when we read these stories, they were just like you and me. They were real people with real doubts and real struggles. Even Jesus himself struggled. Even Jesus struggled. And so, in fact, when our story starts today, Jesus is struggling. He's having a bad day. He's exhausted. He has been serving and people have been, there's so many people he has been helping. And Matthew tells us that in this moment, he finds out that his cousin, his good friend, John, had been beheaded. John was dead, his cousin, whom he loved. This is what Matthew begins the account of this story. In Matthew 14, he says, as soon as Jesus heard the news about John, he left the boat to a remote area to be alone. 
Jesus has lost his friend. And, and Matthew doesn't spell this out, you know, explicitly for us, but it is safe for us to assume that Jesus is feeling the honest human range of emotions that we go through when we lose somebody. Jesus is grieving. His heart is heavy. He loved his cousin John, and Matthew tells us that Jesus needed to get away from everyone and go to a quiet place to recover. I am always encouraged when I'm reminded that Jesus is a real, feeling, hurtable human being. It's comforting, it's comforting to me to know that Jesus didn't stay above and beyond the human experience, but he felt it all the way down like you and I do. He chose to experience a life of sorrow and hurt and pain and not rise above it. And sometimes it can be difficult when we talk about God, right? He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's all-powerful. How do you relate to that? But Jesus, he hurt. He got hungry. Dare I say, he probably made a mistake or two. When I look at Jesus, I see you and me. I see a God I can relate to. And so in this story, Jesus is trying to get away from the crowd to catch his breath and to grieve his cousin John, but the crowd wasn't going to let that happen. The crowd he was trying to find, you know, kind of find some, uh, get away time from, they found him in solitude. And instead of running again and instead of telling them to go away, Jesus did Jesus' things. He decided, I'm going to help these people. And he started healing people. And when Jesus did Jesus' things, he drew a crowd. And the crowd continued to grow and grow. And, and the crowd got so big that the disciples began to worry, right? We're talking a crowd of thousands and thousands and thousands of people out in the wilderness. And the, and the disciples began to worry. What Jesus, there's so many people here. How, we don't have the resources to feed them. Where are they going to sleep? What are they going to do when night comes and we tell them we don't have beds for them and we don't have food for them. They didn't have, uh, skip the dishes, you know, they couldn't serve everyone out in the wilderness. But this is like us sometimes, right? We get so stuck looking at the problem that we, can nev we can't see the solution. We get so stuck looking at what we don't have and don't realize what we do have. I remember when I was a rookie uh, firefighter, I went to my very first car accident. And what's so cool about those fire trucks is that they have every kind of tool that, that you, you could use to get into a vehicle or house. You know, the, it's uh, walls on these fire trucks of tools. And we, they train us to use them. I remember going to my first car accident. I walked right up to the, the, the vehicle that was all banged up and there was a patient inside. And I pulled out a window. Uh, 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 wow, words are hard. A window smasher designed to smash windows and give access to patients. And I pulled it out, and I was about to smash the window when my lieutenant, she grabbed my hand and said, no. And she reached and grabbed the door handle on the door and just opened the door to the vehicle. Right? I was so focused on the problem, the patient, getting that patient out, that I couldn't see that the easy solution was just right in front of me. And so the disciples, they see their problem here, right? They see that they don't have enough resources for the task at hand, but they are only looking at what they don't have instead of looking at what they do have. 
one of them musters up enough courage to kind of challenge Jesus a bit. <clears throat> and he says, that evening the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus, my guy, we can't feed these people. This problem is too big. We can't do it. We need to send them away. You know, we do this very same thing all the time too. We tell Jesus, we tell God the Father, what we think is possible. We tell him how we want him to manage our problem. The disciples tell Jesus that this problem is too big, and so he just needs to send other people away, but Jesus wasn't about to do that. This is what he says to them in Matthew 14, 16. He says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. I hear what you're saying, guys, but just you feed them. You can do it. You give them something to eat. Later on in scripture, John would remember this moment. He would write about remembering this moment when Jesus looked at them and said, go and you can do it. You can feed these people. And John would comment that he knew that Jesus was testing them and their faith. This is a thing Jesus did often. He challenged his disciples. He wanted to empower them to act in faith. It's what a good leader does. He empowers his people to rise to the day. Now Jesus knew they didn't have enough food to feed the multitude of people. He knew that they didn't have the resources. And one of the disciples spoke up and said, but Jesus, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. That's barely enough to feed Big John. Jesus, there are thousands of people here. And all we have is this basket of scraps. And if I'm honest with you, and I'm a pastor, I should be honest, sometimes life has me feeling like all I have left is a basket full of scraps. Now, I've been pushed and pulled in so many directions this year. Things that used to come easy were hard. Relationships that used to be filling have become work. Nothing has come easily. And I know many of you feel the same way. You've given more than you've received. You've given so much more than you've received. And work has more, been more difficult than ever before. And you feel strained at every, at every turn. And life-giving relationships are tired. And for lots of us, it's been tough slogging. And you're sitting today here at church with your basket full of scraps and leftovers, trying to figure out how you're going to get through 2024 and how you're going to face the day. How are you going to lead your family when it seems like it's falling apart? How are you going to survive your soul-crushing job? How are you going to make ends meet? How are you going to mend that broken friendship? We don't have enough time, and we don't have the emotional resources all we have left is this basket of leftovers, this basket of scraps. A few years ago, I, I shared a thought like this in the prayer meeting on Wednesday that we have with Youth with a Mission and the Fort City staff team. We get together weekly to pray. And a few years ago, I shared this sort of thinking. I was going through a period of feeling empty and like all I, I had nothing left to offer that I was surviving on a basket full of scraps. 
And I'll never forget my wise and Métis elder, Steph Manili, looked me in the eyes. And she stopped me. And she challenged me with love in her heart. And she said, Jesus. She said, not Jesus. She said, Lucas. <laughs> she said, Lucas, Jesus has given you exactly what you need. It is not a basket of leftovers. It is not a basket of scraps. What you have is exactly what Jesus needs you to have. It was a lesson I'll never forget. And it's a lesson the disciples are about to learn in this story. In Matthew 14, Jesus, we have all we have left is this basket of scraps. And Jesus says, bring them here. And then he told the people to sit down on the grass. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Leftovers. It was, sorry, the, they ate all, as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and the children. I want you to imagine for a second. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Pick one of them. Pick Peter. He liked to put his foot in his mouth. He's a big, he's like that. Pick Peter. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. And Jesus tells you, go and feed these thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And you know all that's in that basket is five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And Jesus gives you that basket, and he says, go and feed the people. You know it's not enough. How is this even going to work? All you feel, just imagine how you feel. You just feel fear and scarcity and maybe a little bit stupid. But you trust Jesus. And so you go to the first person, and you tell them to take some bread. And they take a lot, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's too much. Take just a bit. Only a communion-sized portion of bread. This has got to feed thousands, right? But then something happens. There's more bread. And there's more fish. And as the baskets are being passed around, somehow the food is multiplying. Somehow there is enough for everyone. Somehow not enough in the hands of the disciples became more than enough when they trusted Jesus. It was a miracle. But where did that miracle start? Did the miracle happen when Jesus blessed the bread and raised his eyes up to heaven? Was it was Jesus, would the miracle happen when Jesus was holding the baskets? I, I don't think that's when the miracle happened. I think the miracle didn't happen in the hands of Jesus. I think the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. The miracle happened when they grabbed that basket of scraps and as foolish as they felt, trusted Jesus and turned towards the crowd to distribute the food. Now you might be feeling today like all you have left is a basket full of scraps, but Jesus is in the business of turning not enough into more than enough. Scarcity into abundance, empty into full. And this miracle doesn't happen in the hands of Jesus. This miracle happens in your hands. When you hold out to him, offering all that you have. When you trust Jesus with your basket of scraps. Our band led us in that song this morning, the song Gratitude. 
but I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. I bring you all that I have, even though it's not enough. And we can't do this on our own. You guys know that our problems are too big, our solution's too small, but if we trust Jesus and if we bring what we have to the table, he is faithful to multiply it. When we bring what we have to Jesus, he makes it enough, and he makes it more than enough. Maybe you're running on empty today. Jesus wants to fill you. Maybe you're exhausted today. Jesus wants to give you rest. And maybe you feel like you've nothing left to give. This morning, Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to turn your basket full of scraps into a basket full of faith. And here, here's the thing, right? Sometimes we read these stories, we hear them preached, and, and we say, oh, that was so great. That, what a great historical account of Jesus. He used to do those things. That's what he used to do. That's who Jesus was and who, the things that he did, but he doesn't do those things anymore. But these stories aren't just meant for the pages of history. These stories are for you and me now to experience the abundance of Christ today. This isn't who Jesus was or what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is and what Jesus continues to do. And so today, now, Jesus is the provider who wants to provide for you. Jesus is the healer who wants to heal you. Jesus is the comforter who wants to comfort you. And Jesus is the savior who wants to save you. And Jesus is the host of heaven. And he wants to empower you. Today in the middle of nowhere, this day in the middle of nowhere, with their basket full of scraps, Matthew tells us that everyone ate. And that everyone was satisfied and that no one went hungry. And not just that, when everyone was done eating, there was 12 basketfuls of leftovers. What was not enough in the hands of the disciples became more than enough when they trusted Jesus. As I close this morning, there are three ways I want you to consider responding to today's story. First, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus before, you can decide to do that today. It's not always easy following Jesus, but it is always an adventure. And you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out or understand everything deeply. You just have to trust him with your life. You just have to decide to follow him and then take that first step. And if that's you, at the end of our service, we're going to have a prayer team over on the side of the stage. They'd love to help you craft a prayer and put that into words. Now, second, some of you are sitting here exhausted, right? You're feeling drained. You're feeling empty. You, you look down and all you have is a basket of scraps. In a minute, I want to pray for you that you would be filled today with the Holy Spirit, that you would experience the peace that comes from trusting God and giving him what you have, even when it doesn't feel like enough. I want to pray that you would experience God's peace and provision in your life. And then the third way I want to invite you to consider responding to this story is that the miracle happened in the disciples' hands when they gave what little they had to the service of others. 
What you have might not feel like much, but when you give it in service of the kingdom of God, when you give what you have in service of love of others, God multiplies its reach. We believe, and I hope you believe, that what we do here at Fort City is important. That the people we serve, the lives that we get to see change, matter. And for 2024, I want you to consider regularly attending and serving at Fort City as a priority for you and your people. For you to share in the ebb and the flow of the life of this church. To bring your basket full of scraps and see how God multiplies it when you trust him. As we look forward to 2024, I want you to remember that Jesus is still turning not enough into more than enough. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your kindness and your grace that you extend to each one of us. I thank you that you are faithful in the mountaintop and in the valley. And I thank you that no matter what our experience is right now on that mountain valley, between the mountain and the valley, wherever we end up, Jesus, you still are faithful to walk with us and still faithful to love us and still faithful to be kind to us. And I pray that for those of us today who are feeling like all we have left is a basket full of scraps, those of us today who are feeling empty, drained, like there's not enough, like tomorrow looks difficult, this year looks difficult, Jesus, would you send your peace and your comfort? And would you help us to see our lives through your eyes? And you would help us to see that what we have is exactly what you have for us at this moment. And that when we trust you with what is in our hands, you are faithful for it to be more than enough. Jesus, I pray a blessing over each person here today and watching online that they would know the abundancy of trusting Jesus with their hearts and their lives. I pray this in the holiest of names. In the name of Jesus, amen.